Craft Beer Radio, episode 31, February 9th, 2006. Hi, and welcome to Craft Beer Radio, the show for craft beer and the craft brewing industry. I'm Jeff Bear. And I'm Greg Weiss. And tonight we are doing a short little tour of some beers from Dogfish Head Craft Brewery. Our first vertical, our first brewery vertical. Hopefully they didn't tune out when they heard the intro backwards. Like, this isn't the show. <laughs> Hang on. Figured we'd change it up a little bit, go for something crazy because we're at episode 31 and that means do something crazy, I think. Yep, so tonight we're going to be drinking some uh, beers from Dogfish Head, but not their normal lineup of beers. Some of their specialty beers, their experimental or extreme beers, if you will. Right. We tried on the on the pre-show, we did their import ale. Immort. Immort ale. ale. And uh, like during the show, we'll be doing some other uh, interesting style of beers from Dogfish Head. Absolutely. Well, we should go on to business. I think that's how we should start. Okay. I sent out an email to everyone who is participating in the Craft Beer Radio multi-brew experiment the other day. I got an email back from five people who are participating. If you are participating, if you brewed the beer and you haven't replied, get back to me and let me know. And if I didn't send you an email, send an email to me at beer at craftbeerradio.com. I'm really excited to taste those. Yeah, that should be cool. I, I still got to counter-pressure bottle ours. Other than that, we're ready to go. So I think someone already sent us the bottles. They're in Sweet. the mail right now. So. Very cool. Hey, Jeff, have you been to sudsgear.com? Yes, I have, Greg. Well, that's good. So what do you think of sudsgear.com? Sudsgear.com is an interesting place to find beer merchandise. They have merchandise from craft breweries and from the big boys. What are you doing, a commercial here? Trying to. Well, I've heard that if there's if you use some sort of secret code or something, you Funny can you get- ask, Greg. Cool. There is a promotional coupon code, CBR. If you use the coupon code CBR at sudsgear.com, you get 10% off your order. And we get credit for generating the sale, which gives us a little bit of quinn in our pocket, too. So the code was, what was that again? CBR. CBR. And that site was, what was that again? Sudsgear.com. Sudsgear.com. CBR. And what can I get there again? You can get beer merchandise. And I'm sure everyone's bored with this one since we're improving it today, and I didn't get the right, you know, my silly Suds Gear commercial this week. I was actually hoping that you'd be like, "No, I haven't been Suds Gear to come." That be like, "Why? Why do you lie to me, Jeff?" <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping to go from there, but it didn't work out I'm that sorry. way. See, I'm not very good at improv. <laughs> Why must you lie? Anyway, uh, there are several ways you can send us feedback. You can post a comment on our website, craftbeerradio.com. You can vote for us on the website, podcastalley.com, and leave us a comment. For February, the people who have been on the ball. We are yeah, like absolutely. 52 or 53 right now. we got like 40 votes, and we haven't even had time to ask yet. It's so been, thank you very much. It's been really cool. Thanks a lot. You can call our comment line at 206-202-BEER. You can send us an email or audio comment to the email address, beer at craftbeerradio.com. Uh, you can do other things, too. You can write it out on an Etch-A-Sketch hey, and mail it to us. Very good. I like it. And if you need... To know the address, send us a mail at beercraftyradio.com. Absolutely. Let's jump on to email, Greg. Okay. We have a listener from New Zealand. His name's either Greg or Grieg. G-R-E-I-G. Never asked him how to pronounce it. Hmm. From New Zealand. He says he checked out the links to the online beer retailers from episode 28. Unfortunately, neither of them ship internationally. He's asking if any of our listeners know of 
some beer shipper that does international shipping of beers. Yeah, the ones we linked on the website, just so everyone knows, was uh, Liquid Solutions and Beverages and More. And neither of them will ship to New Zealand. It's too bad. He said he recently had some rogue Morimoto Imperial Pilsner. He was really impressed, and he has a mad craving for more U.S. beer now. Help him out if you know some way for him to get some American craft beer shipped to him. Send us an email, and we'll pass it on to him. Wesley writes in, I'm not quite sure how it's done, but I'd suggest getting some photos of bottle, label, yeah. or reviewed beers, hops, grain, etc. on your podcasts. Another idea, perhaps, if you're on beer trips, you could podcast about brew pubs, microbreweries that don't distribute on a large scale. I think Wesley's talking about the enhanced podcasts that you can do on iPods, where it puts the pictures on during the timeline of the podcast. Oh. You need a Mac to be able to do that stuff. Oh. And we don't have Macs, so if they make Windows tools, and I have enough free time, which it's not looking too likely, we might do something like that. But. I mean, our last show, Jeff didn't get out until Tuesday because he was so busy and, and lazy. And <laughs> Thanks, Greg. <laughs> so it, it's hard enough to get, to get the show out in general. And editing and little shots to put right. in embed in the mp3 would just make it a little more difficult as for the uh live shows sure i mean if we do we've done interviews yeah. on trip tours and stuff like that and every time we have the occasion to we try to to get an interview out there or something and with spring coming around probably be checking out more breweries than we have digging through the snow so we'll have do some more interviews and some little sound seeing tours if you will i think when i go to japan i'm going to be talking with the guy who brews rogue ales in japan oh cool so That'll be something to look forward to. That's cool. Andrew writes, hey, guys, I was just at my local package store and I noticed a sign on Great Divide's IPA. The store is using quotes from your IPA show to promote the beer. That's pretty cool. That's pretty. Did they get a license fee from us? No, but uh, that's too bad. I asked Andrew yeah. to get us a photograph of that. I that is really it. cool. People are more than welcome to use our quotes about your beer, good or bad. Intern Scott sent us a link to beerfordogs.com. It's non-alcoholic and non-carbonated. Our Happy Tail Ale is the ultimate liquid refreshment for your best friend. Our brew is made of the choice malted barley and filtered water, featuring all-natural beef flavorings. <laughs> Plus, it's fortified with glucosamine and vitamin E. Wow. A healthy beer for your dog. I know that dogs do like beer. And it's not good for them. Hops right. aren't good for them. The alcohol's not really good for them. But I'm sure they like malted grain. Who doesn't, really? Brian, who happens to be the person who sent us the Adam from last week. We didn't have his name on last time, so now we want to confirm. And as soon as you wrote in, I'm Brian. the guy that sent you the Adam. We're like, thank you, thank yeah. you, thank you, thank you. Uh, he, he talks – he wants to talk about our beer travels where, you know, wherever I go to England or Japan or wherever I'm going. What do we think about guided beer tours, particularly to Belgium? Uh, he said he, he and his wife both want to go to Belgium for food and beer culture and history. I generally like to – when I go to a place to, to do it on my own, I don't like a guided tour. I'm not the kind of guided tour fan, I guess. Jeff? I kind of agree. I like to sort the things out on my own. Now, there are times I think guided tours are nice. When I was on the beer cruise, I was with like 30 other beer geeks, which was a great time when right. you weren't doing the tour stuff. And if the tour can get you access to places you wouldn't be able to get on your own, that'd be another reason to look at the tour. You know, if they're going to take you into West Veteran. Yeah, you know, and you know, swim around in the beer vats, you know, <laughs> where the normal person can't do that. Then it might be worth signing up for the tour. There's a link on our website of two websites that he found that offer Belgian beer tours. So you can go to our website and check out those links if you're interested as well. Sounds pretty cool. Tom from Connecticut writes that Sam Adams Spring Seasonal White Ale is out, and we should definitely try it. 
if we do another Whitbeer show, because it fits perfectly with the Who Guard and the Blue Moon, and if he remembers correctly, it's pretty good. Well, we're going to do a Whitbeer show. In the upcoming beers, I have yeah. Who Guard and Blue Moon there already, so that's why he mentioned those. So we could add the same Adams. I was going to do two bigger ones, those two, and then two smaller ones, but we might throw the same Adams in. I'm not sure yet. You could always do it in the pre-show, the post-show, too. Yeah, absolutely. He listened to the interview with the Anheuser-Busch guy, Florian, and found it very interesting. He is not surprised to hear that Anheuser-Busch experiments with some craft beer. It makes some good sense that people involve that intimately with beer, even if it is with Anheuser-Busch, know what good beer is. My grandfather actually worked for them as a biochemist back in the 50s and 60s. I haven't talked with him about it much, but it's my understanding that there was always a secret world of good beer behind the scenes at these places. Coors Winterfest, right. according to the company, is something that used to be made only for private consumption by employees. That's, yeah, that's the rumor, and there you go, and it was pretty good beer. Yeah, that was just a comment that Tom so, had about in you know, in, in, in a way, I guess it kind of makes sense. Even I know like restaurants, sometimes the chefs will, will make stuff that's not on the menu that's really good for the you know just the employees. Right. When I was reading Tom's email, it got me thinking about maybe their thought process is – the masses aren't ready for a beer like this, aren't able to appreciate a beer like this. See, I, and I, don't, they don't, think, I don't think it's, it's they're ready. I mean, I don't but, want to interrupt your thought. Sure. I, I don't think it's that you know, they're not ready because clearly look how craft beer is growing and stuff like that. The reason I started thinking that way, well, because I was thinking about the 50s and 60s. Right. And if they're making good beers back in the 50s and 60s, that was certainly a time where the American people were not ready. They would not understand mm-hmm. a good craft beer. And they're a big company, so you know some of that old stigma might still be hanging around. That could be part of it, you know. But I think part of it is is that their advertising strategy bore a lot of fruit for them, and then it also kind of limited what they're doing. I mean, the most we're going to talk about this in, in a few minutes, but they just had a recent ad for um, their Michelob Amber Bach or Michelob Amber Ultra. Where the whole idea is that they make it actually taste a little bit more like beer and look a little bit more like beer. This whole uh, thought about what they think they can do reminds me of a conversation I had with Scott Smith from East End Brewing Company not too long ago. He was telling me in England in the 1700s, brewers would make you know, 80-90% of their beer would be the, the mass-produced boring stuff and then they would make the artisanal stuff for the upper class mm-hmm. and it would be a small and they'd use their profits from the low stuff to be able to finance the high stuff. And it seemed like that whole model came over to the United States. And then at some point, the big brewers said, why, why lose the money on that craft stuff? We'll just stick with the bottom stuff. So that kind of like they kind of split apart. Top part got lost until the craft beer scene picked it back up. Interesting. But you don't really, for a lot of these craft beers, you're not really paying that much more than you're paying for a Budweiser or a Coors or something like that. Yeah, which is funny because you would think Budweiser should be able to make their stuff significantly, significantly cheaper. But I mean, yeah. sells for twenty three, twenty four dollars a case around here, and a good craft beer is going to be about thirty bucks. It's, I think that's just a very high profit margin in the cases yeah. of Budweiser. Be my guess on that one. On to James from Basic Brewing Radio, one of our favorite shows. He's uh, listening to his week's show. He has to brag about a couple of things. He was at the Great American Beer Fest and had Dogfish Head ninety minute that was being run through the enamel animal, which is the, the Randall uh, enamel animal. The Randall animal, which is the the hops running through fresh hops. Night he tried it, they were using experimental Japanese hops, which gave an incredible hop aroma. He learned later that they used different hops each session. That's interesting. Also, when he was there, he tried the La Foley for the first time and was blown away by the sourness. Is that a lambic that they did? It's a uh, Flanders Red or Flanders Okay. Brown. That was one we were talking about from New Belgium, the one beer that I really want to try from them if they come out this way, because we were talking about the sourness of Rodenbach last mm-hmm, week and mm-hmm. also about New Belgium. So I mentioned La Foley. 
And James got to have it. Lucky son yeah. of a gun. <laughs> so the first time he, he had it, he wasn't sure if he liked it, but then after a couple of sips, he wanted more. Reminds me of Rodenbach. Just goes on to tell him that he actually found it around his house, and he has several bottles <laughs> of it. Apparently, the New Belgium site is only available at the brewery, but he actually got it at the liquor store. So, wow. Lucky him. Mike wrote in with a little more information about John Barleycorn. Jack London wrote an autobiographical book called John Barleycorn, Memoirs of an Alcoholic, or something like that. <laughs> he read it years ago, and it was really, in his opinion, just a chance for him to brag about how much he could drink and how chesty of a man he was. Okay. That's enough for email. Let's go on to news. There is a new high alpha hop in town. The new hop variety is called Summit, get it? And it was recently released by Brewer Supply Group. The hop boasts alpha acid values between 17 and 19%. A new concept to the U.S. hop industry, Summit is a dwarf variety grown using a low trellis system. Hops are grown on trellises. These strings that go up. Right, okay. Traditional hop things are 20, trellises are like 25 feet tall. With a dwarf hop, you can grow them on 10-foot trellises. So you need a much... Trellises aren't expensive when you're building one, but when you have a whole far, farm, it right, gets expensive. Right, right. Making them you know, 15 feet shorter is a lot cheaper because you don't need as much structural material to make them as high. So these dwarf hops are going to be very popular in the future to be more cost-efficient way to make hops. See, and they say here because dwarf hops are picked gently as opposed to taller cousins, which will be cut through machines, I guess... Dwarf varieties are of the highest quality. Uh, I wasn't aware of that part of it. Brewer Supply Group is, if you guys listen to Basic Brewing Radio, and he interviewed Gerard Lemons on the Hop Show, he works for Brewer Supply Group. And actually, that's where I learned about the dwarf hops. Uh, it says, ideal, ideally suited for brewing American-style IPAs and double IPA. Big surprise. Summit is an excellent bittering hop. Cohumulone levels are low at 25 to 28% of alpha. We talked a little bit last week about the cohumulone. When it's high, it's it's a harsh, not-so-desirable flavor in the hop. So when they're making these styles like Amarillo uh, and now Summit, it gives you a more desirable flavor for people. And they say strong orange and tangerine citrus notes. Well, look for that in new IPAs and double IPAs. You know, I'd like to see a well-hopped porter with this. You know, sort of get a little a fruity thing with, with some of that dark malt. Kind of like a chocolate-covered orange. Yeah, it's it's surprising you haven't come across something like that. Yeah. It might not work. Maybe that's why. Because you know someone's tried it. Yeah. So it might just not taste like you're imagining, yeah. be my guess. But but it, it should also go good in like an amber, something like that. Yeah. You'd imagine. Not a habit, but it's a lifestyle <laughs> for beer drinker the year finalists. And uh, we, we talked about this, I think, uh, very beginning yeah, of the very our beginning series. Of the show, that it's not like it's not just some guy who swills down beer. It's actually it takes a. You have to have a beer resume, yeah. and you know a lot of these people brew it, help brew it, brew pubs. They homebrew. They they've tasted thousands and thousands of beer. Wincoop Brewery in Denver, Colorado, Boulder, Colorado, somewhere in Colorado, puts this on every single year. This is the tenth annual, annual beer drinker of the year award. They're down to three finalists, Warren. Montero is one of them. He's joined by Diane Cantazaro from Norfolk, Virginia, and Tom Schmidlin of Seattle, Washington. The final judging will be on February 25th at the Wincoop Brew Pub in Denver, Colorado. There Denver, there you go. It's like I said, this is a hardcore thing. There's a panel of judges, and like you know, it's kind of like Miss America for beer drinkers, <laughs> and uh, it's a pretty cool event. So keep your eyes peeled. We'll have some more information. I as can't this imagine progresses. the swimsuit competition is all that exciting now. Probably not. Hey, there's a girl this year. 
Right, that's true. Someone who's been drinking beer for 40 years. <laughs> Actually, I shouldn't say that. If anyone's going to be listening to us, it's going to be these three people, huh? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we think you're very attractive. Anheuser-Busch's fourth quarter earnings dropped to $201 million. So they don't drop, but they dropped to $201 million. Right. But it did fall 39.5%. That's pretty big. For, is they, last year they had, I guess, $332 million. Now they have $201 million. So they're, con, they're dropping uh, their earnings considerably uh, Well, last quarter. But that doesn't mean necessarily anything. Okay. Quarters, quarters are flo- you know, they fluctuate yeah. like crazy. Doctors say moderate beer drinkers age slower. Well. Here's an article from West Bohemia in the Czech Republic. Study conducted by doctors, by Czechoslovakian doctors. Right. Middle-aged men who uh, drink moderate amounts of beer age more slowly. It creates less Reduce- likelihood of heart attacks and... Arteriosclerosis. Yeah. The men were given beer for free, so that may have helped too. <laughs> so basically, if you drink beer, you'll you'll never age. <laughs> you'll age much slower, <laughs> much or, slower, or slightly slower, or something. It, it's like going really, it's like going really fast, close to speed of light, or, or or drinking beer is the same sort of effect. Cool. Let's move on to what beer am I? Good shall idea. We? Okay, you've only had a couple of days to get it. Well, unless I take another week to get this show up, but right. I'll try not to. Last week's answer was Sam Adams Chocolate Bock. I've only had four people write in, or five people write in so far, so I'm sure more answers will come. Thomas, David, Dave, Brian, and Alexander had the answers this time. Congratulations, guys. This week's is a little bit harder. I am an award-winning farmhouse saison, 7.5% alcohol by volume. Award-winning. I am named for a Flemish explorer from the 1600s. Flemish. My brewery is located on a former hop farm. Hop farm. My four siblings are also Belgian-style beers, of course. Of course. Sports fans would especially enjoy a trip to my brewery. Sports fans. So if you have a guess on this week's What Beer Am I? Send an email to beer at craftbeerradio.com. Oh, we haven't done Macro Muck for a while. Let's do a Super Bowl edition of Macromuck. What do you say? Okay, that sounds good. Anheuser-Busch was the exclusive beer advertiser at the Super Bowl. Is that normal? Was it- actually, yes, it is. I was okay. actually reading about this because Coors Light is the official beer of the NFL, but you can buy separately the official beer of the Super Bowl. You can buy the, the rights to all the beer advertisements run during the Super Bowl. Okay. Anheuser-Busch did buy that. So They had 10 commercials. Some of them you might remember were the hidden bottles of Bud Light, which right. was one of the best ones, guys, going to work on a Monday morning, and they open up the elevator, right. and people are tearing apart the office trying to find hidden bottles of Bud Light. There's the Bud Light Bear Chase. Which was cute. There is the Bud Light Fixing the Roof That's ad. That's the one I like the most, I think, of these. There is the, uh, the Clydesdale football game Streaker. Which was pretty lame, as yeah. far as I was concerned. The one that I thought could have been cool if they did it without CGI was the Stadium Wave. How could they have done that without CGI? Choreograph the whole thing with all placards with the full stadium of people. That'd be awesome if they could have pulled off with real people. But it was obviously all CGI. Yeah, yeah. So that would have been that would have been a nightmare. Another really funny one was the Bud Light Magic Beer Fridge one with the rotating wall. Right, right, and they're just you know they're praying to the fridge. The Pony Beer Cart, which was one of those ones your grandma would like. Yeah, to I watch. don't understand what you know what why why a Clydesdale would really want to pull. A beer cart. <laughs> I don't care if, it, if it's uh, if it's dogfish head or if it's you know <laughs> if it's anything. Why would a Clydesdale want to do you know want to pull a beer cart? Right. Well, the thing is, you know, you know why yeah. they did the 
Michelob Ultra Amber come out, came out, and it had a hard hit commercial, which was kind of funny, because right. it was unexpected. And then the most interesting one of the night was the Here's to Beer commercial. Right. It was interesting because they, they showed what appeared to be Guinness or something close to it, a stout-like, at the very end. Oh, did they? Yeah. I was looking at the beers trying to figure out this commercial, and they were all light to medium, you know, amber lagers. right. right. Commercial was they all said cheers prost in their in their native languages. Right. At the end, it just says here's the beer dot com. It's a website put up by the uh, the beer institute. institute. Beer institute is mostly in Heiser Bush, but the website. Did you look at the website at all, Greg? No, I didn't. It's uh, not bad. They for, as soon as you go in, it shows you all, a bunch of different styles of beer. Some inaccuracies in there, but overall, it's telling people about styles of beer that Anheuser Busch doesn't make. Mm-hmm. And there's a little quiz thing where you can tell them what you like and they'll tell you what kind of beer styles are for you. And uh, so it's, it's a good educational. It's going to open people's yeah. eyes. And it's uh, – Well, it's that's not- cool. I mean at first I thought, you know, I, I think lots of beer fans are thinking, look at this, it's all, you know, this is yellow piss water. Mm-hmm. And then they started to see some darker beers in there, a little bit darker. Nothing looked quite, you know, like a – like a dark, you know, like an old ale or a porter until the very end when I saw what looked to be a Guinness because it had a little, um, had big foam in the shamrock on top. It wasn't exactly promoting craft beer, but it was promoting different types of beer, and that's a start. And we know we've been talking about the whole image of, of the beer. And I've said these, some of these Bud Light commercials really aren't promoting the new image. But if you think about it, there was no sex this year, no right. girl, you know, none of that. So they are. Well, there was a streaking uh, lamb. Sheep, yeah. Yeah, so. <laughs> but, um. <laughs> But so it is changing, and, and the stuff was funny, and uh, you know a lot of the Bud Light ones didn't have anything to do with beer, but uh, you know the other Budweiser ones did. The even the Amber Bach, the right. the Amber Ultra one, kind of talked about beer a little bit. So they are starting to change their marketing to talk about what's in yeah. the beer. I noticed the sex is now being used to sell a domain name service. Yeah, GoDaddy.com, which were horrible commercials. Right. Oh well, uh, that's you know. I guess macro muck wasn't quite mucky this this time, but it was interesting nonetheless. Oh yeah, I figured we had to talk about the, yeah. the Super Bowl commercials for beer, but even if I didn't make a good editorial type point. <laughs> oh well. On to uh, our beers of the night, which are uh, we're going to go through a whole bunch while we're doing these tastes. We're going to go through a whole bunch of stuff that Dogfish Head provides. Dogfish Head is made there; they brewed in Delaware, uh, very prolific beer company. Started by um, Sam Caligione. Caligione, uh, and makes some excellent, excellent beers. And uh, before we get into this, if you're not familiar with them, their slogan is Off-Centered Ales for Off-Centered People. So all the beers we're drinking tonight are not your normal, traditional beer styles. Mm -hmm. So let's move on to the first one. Okay. Ah, Pangea. This uh, This is an interesting beer because this is... Created with an ingredient from every continent. I guess it's a it's a Belgian strong Belgian pale. Which, and let's see, they have let's see, crystallized ginger from Australia, Moscovado sugar from Africa, Bismati rice from Asia, water from Antarctica. So that'll give you an idea of you know what they're going for. Pangea is of course the name of the supercontinent before all the continents split up from the tectonic plate movement of right. the earth. And it is in a 750 milliliter bottle with a cork. The uh, the label calls this an amber ale brewed with crystallized sugar, but it does have Belgian yeast in it. Hmm. So the yeast is from Europe. I guess the hops are probably from America. Yeah, and the grain's probably from America too, but there might be some... Let's say Bismati. Whoa! Whoa. <laughs> wow, this one's carbonated. <laughs> it scared me. <laughs> that, that sucker went pow! 
It's, over, that here. it's over here on the floor. Wow. So we are drinking uh, tonight out of dogfish head snifters. Lots of head, very, <laughs> believe it or not. A very heady beer, and it does certainly have the look of a Belgian pale. It's got that yellowish haziness. Uh, has a lot of head to it. And it's uh, fairly translucent. I've never had a corked beer go off like that. <laughs> My God. Look at that sucker. Oh, you got to love this. Dogfish Head always put stuff on their labels, uh-huh. and the uh, the FDA or something makes them cross stuff out. Like, remember in the Worldwide Stout how it said, made with vim, vigor, and a ridiculous amount of barley? They had to cross out vim and vigor because it's not technically ingredients. Oh, I see. Well, here, this, and I'm assuming it said beer, <laughs> ages with the best of them, and they had to cross out beer for some reason. I guess they don't. Well, I mean, it's weird because they consider that, that glue. Was it the uh, the glucose? It wasn't glucose. It was. Um... Oh, look over here. There's a whole bunch of words crossed out, blacked out. <laughs> Pangea is a unique blank with a hint of ginger and great complexity. This is a blank that celebrates our communal history. <laughs> this blank is best drunk cool, not cold, from a sniffer or red wine glass. I'm getting uh, it's sort of a grassy note, grassiness, and a little bit of that ginger from the aroma. Yeah, it's certainly a ginger aroma on this one. A little bit of yeast, Belgian yeast yeah. aroma on it. Like I say, can you, can you detect that grassiness? Yeah, a little bit. I, I think that has to do with the ginger. Yeah. Very, very carbonated. Mm. Just prickly, prickly, prickly. Almost champagne-like in its carbonation. I need to work out a whole bunch of carbonation before I actually be able to tell what this thing tastes like. Hmm. It's, um... It definitely has that ginger taste coming around the outside of your mouth, and you have um, kind of a, a, a light maltiness there, and uh, distinct sort of sweetness on the front of your of your mouth, front of your tongue. Not really detecting much in the way of spices, but maybe a bit. Let's talk about some of the beers that uh, they have here at Dogfish Head. Okay, they have their year-round beers, which are all their normal ones, but mm-hmm. some that aren't so. Midas Touch Golden Elixir, which is a beer we're having this evening. It's one of those historical ones. Remember the uh, that brewing, Modern Marvels? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Story I do remember that. Right? Where they found this tomb. Let's talk about that when we drink the beer. Okay. Next one, Shelter Pale Ale. It's a traditional pale mm-hmm. ale. The Raison d'Etre. Or Raison d'Etre, I think is the way okay. you pronounce it. Okay, Raison d'Etre. A raison d'Etre is uh, the, uh, it's a French term meaning, I think, re- reason for being. Okay. So, like... Uh, the Steelers' raison d'etre is to win Super Bowls, you could say. Okay. This so, beer has beet sugar and green raisins in it and Belgian-style right. yeast. Which is why they use raison in it, because it's... Exactly. So. 60-minute IPA. Right. Their 90-minute IPA. I love their 60-minute IPA. It's a really bright, hoppy flavor that uh, you don't get through other, uh, through other IPAs, because it's also very well balanced. It's a session IPA brewed with Warrior, Amarillo, and Mystery Hop X. It's a powerful East Coast IPA with a lot of citrusy hop character. The session beer for beer geeks like us. <laughs> That's what it says right here. The next one is the 90-minute IPA, which is their Imperial IPA. Now, they're, they're called 60-minute and 90-minute because of the process, right? Because oh. of Sure. They, have this thing called, they do this thing called continual, continuous hopping, where normally when you brew beer, you add some hops at the beginning for bittering, and you add some near the end for the flavor and the aroma. They have this little machine called Sir Hops a Lot, and it it has basically a timer on it, and just drops some hops into the brew kettle every minute for the whole boil. 
So their 60, 90, and 120 minutes are boiled for that long, and hops are added every minute for that time period. When he first made his the, the 60 minute, he didn't have you know the sir hops a lot. So he had to so he had this way. electric football game and you know, <laughs> vibrates, uh-huh. and he put the hops in there, and the vibrating would scatter the hops into the kettle slowly. That's clever. India brown ale. That's a, that's an interesting one because it, it is kind of like a brown ale, kind of like a porter. It's a, it says here a cross between a Scotch ale, an IPA, and an American brown. <laughs> well hopped and malty at the same time. Brewed with aromatic barley, caramelized brown sugar. Next beer is the Chicory Stout. That's a good one. That one has roasted chicory, organic Mexican coffee, St. John's wort, and licorice root. Brewed with whole leaf, cascade, and Fugel's hops. Lots of stuff in that beer. And uh, the Lawnmower Light, which is, I guess... Uh... Year-round, it's draft-only limited distribution. It's uh, it's our light. It's our intro beer for those who need a little help jumping feet first in the crazy world of beer that is dogfish head <laughs> beer. It's a starter beer, but it's not dumbed down. Lawnmower is made with quality ingredients and a great thirst quencher, perfect to enjoy after a day in the sun mowing the lawn or anything else that gets you hot and bothered. So it is, you know, it is their version of the lawnmower beer. The exactly the the light. Never had that one. Not offensive beer. And it'll be interesting to see what it's like. So let's see if this beer is any less carbonated now. The Pangea. It's a little better. It's still, still as carbonated or more carbonated than ginger ale, though. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it does have a really interesting feel because it is. It does have that prickly carbonation you don't normally get. It's, it's not uh, a thick mouthfeel by any means. It's very. Uh, it's thin because of the carbonation. Mm-hmm. The the ginger is really the dominant flavor in yeah. this thing. It's overpowering any malt you may get. It's certainly a ginger beer. Yeah. Under their limited edition beers. These beers are limited edition and are brewed or released once, in some cases just a few times a year. Many have high alcohol contents, which means grab them when you can and keep them happy in your cellar. And so we have the, they start with the 120-minute IPA, which is their super imperial. 18% alcohol by volume. Yeah, <laughs> this one's crazy. So, And it's called an IPA, but it's so alcoholic so, and there's so much malt to get that alcohol. It's a very sweet beer. Mm-hmm. It's not really an IPA as you would expect. It's not, it's not like the, hop, the bitterest, hoppiest thing you've ever tasted. Next one is the Amort Ale, which is one we had for pre-show. Worldwide Stout, which we had a couple oh, weeks ago. Oh, that's so good. That is an 18% stout, double stout. So it's another one. It's low carbonation and so high in alcohol. It's more like a port. It's some, it's a sipping beer for sure. Right. It's great. Then there's the old school barley wine, which I've never had. I had it before. And from what I remember from it, it was a really – actually, it contradicts their description here. To me, it was really – Grainy, really grapefruit, heart, and uh, like a rough tasting beer. <laughs> and their description is bold yet smooth, fermented on dates and figs. This bone crusher has a completely unique flavor. So even their barley wine, they they do it on dates and figs. Crazy these guys. Now they also have the cord de malt, which Jeff has had. That's a malt liquor. It, yes, you heard right, a malt. Dogfish head makes a malt liquor. They serve it in a forty ounce <laughs> bottle, red screw cap. And when you buy a bottle of it, they give you a hand-stamped paper bag to put the bottle in. Malt liquor is made with corn, traditionally. Right. It's made with three kinds of corn. A red corn, a white corn, and a blue corn. So it's red, white, and blue. Uh-huh. And it's it's pretty good. I mean, it's not as good as some, you know, as a good, good craft beer. But it's a lot better than a lot of beers. And it's definitely the best malt liquor ever made. <laughs> the Burton Baton, which, uh, hmm, what's the Burton Baton? That is a 
oak-aged English strong ale and a 90-minute IPA blend. Wow, that's weird. Citrus notes from the wet northwestern hops and vanilla notes from the oak. 10% alcohol by volume. Interesting. Uh, their fort, which we're going to have on their on our uh, fruit we're show. Fruit beer show. It's a, uh, it's a beer made with raspberries. The next one is Chateau Jihu. This is like the Midas Touch. This is the beer. They found recipe for beer or some jugs with some 9,000-year-old Chinese tomb. And the uh, anthropologist from the University of Pennsylvania got together with Sam Calagione and Dogfish Head, and they brewed this beer. And last I heard, it wasn't going into production or anything, but this certainly looks like you'll be able to get it in August. Wow. 9,000-year-old uh, <laughs> fermented beverage. I don't think it's technically beer. Let's see. The Festina Lente. That's a neolambic. Ooh. It says here that the beer is no longer in production, but it's still available randomly in limited quantities in vintage beer coolers at Dogfish Head Brewery and Eats in Rehoboth Beach. have to check that out. The Averdi Verdi Good. This is another strange beer that they came up with. It is their green beer, Dogfish Style. It's a Dortmunder greened with spirulina. It's like a... Was that, I think it's green algae or something like that. Hmm. Or, I wow. want to say algae, but I'm not sure. It's, well, it sounds uh, like algae is used in a lot of places. Seaweed, for instance, is used in a lot of things, and seaweed is basically an algae. Don't be surprised when you hear algae because it's not as disgusting as you might think. It's out now. It just came out in February 2006. Cool. And uh, Zwanendale. This was brewed to commemorate the 375th anniversary of the first town Luz in the first state Delaware. Hmm. It's an old Dutch-style rye Bach beer. 7% alcohol by volume. Well, which is when we Wait, wait, wait. Let's, oh. let's do seasonal beers after we do oh. some more of this okay. uh, Pangea. Like we said, uh, really lots of ginger. Sweetness that comes by with a little bit of that sugar. When you say it tastes more like ginger ale than it does beer? <laughs> it, it, it does taste... Yeah, I, mean, I guess it, technically it is a ginger ale. There you go. <laughs> I like the smell of this beer better than I like the taste, I think. <laughs> it's not bad beer. It's just not really... It's not, it's not, it's it's not, not super... Sucking, it's yeah, not, it's not super exciting. It's, um, it doesn't pull you in and really excite you. It really has a very interesting smell, but uh, it, do, it doesn't quite follow through on taste. It's just true. But uh, it's not bad. I recommend you try it if you want something light and relatively easy. It's not going to you yeah, know, wow you over. This would be a good beer on a hot summer day. Mm-hmm. It's definitely... It's not syrupy or anything. It's, just, it's so prickly carbonation-wise. Yeah, it's I, really good. I finally got enough worked out that it tastes more like normal beer yeah. and not <laughs> soda. This one has to be bottle-conditioned, right? Yeah, all these ones are going to be. So, I mean, maybe it's just it, it had so much time. There was a lot of pressure in there. I don't think I've ever had a beer that... Well, I never had, like I said, I never had a cork beer that exploded like that. Yeah. I can't imagine... I don't remember ever having a beer that was so prickly on the tongue the first sip either. It was just the carbonation was just exploding on the tongue. Very, very sharp flavor. Yeah. Or a carbonation flavor. I still can't believe that thing blew up like that. Did it make a dent in the roof? I don't know. In the ceiling? Let's hope not. Good thing I wasn't pointing it at anyone. <laughs> yeah. Oh! Craft your radio emergency. Should we move on to our next beer? Sure, let's do that. The Midas Touch Golden Elixir. Okay, let's talk about the Midas Touch. Now, you were saying there's a very interesting story behind the Midas Touch. We didn't really go into it. Let's go into it now. Uh, it's Golden Touch. Let's see. Midas was, of course, the king with the Golden Touch. Everything he touched turned to gold. 
He nearly starved to death when even his own food and drink were converted into precious metal. Uh, the well-known legend is based on an actual ruler of an ancient kingdom of Phrygia, I'm going to say. It's P-H-R-Y-G-I-A in central Turkey around 700 B.C. There you go. Oh, thank you very much. Under a huge mound of the capital of Gordian, the University of Pennsylvania Museum expedition in 1957 excavated an intact burial chamber, which likely belonged to King Midas himself. The body of a 60-year-old male was laid out in the state on a thick pile of purple and blue dyed textiles inside a unique log coffin. Most remarkably, the tomb held the largest Iron Age drinking set ever found, 157 vessels, including a ram-headed and lion-headed citula for preparing, serving, and drinking and libating a special beverage at the funerary feast of the king. The secrets of the beverage were revealed by new methods of molecular archaeology. They did a uh, spectral analysis on the residue and able to basically tell what the recipe was or so they lead us to believe and this is supposed to be a recreation of what they were drinking in that burial chamber uh let's see residues inside the vessels belong to a phrygian uh, phrygian cocktail which combined grape wine barley beer and honey mead starting with the ancient chemical evidence dr shed brewery recreated a marvelous golden elixir truly touched by king midas says on the label it's made with barley honey white muscat grapes and saffron hmm wow well, you know, the first thing I smell on this is saffron, so it's not surprising to me that saffron is there. Right. Uh, saffron is very aromatic and very uh, powerful uh, spice, which is actually uh, gathered from the pistils of a flower. Pistils okay. are the sexual organs. What do you normally use saffron for? Normally use saffron for, I think, one of the it, – it, it's uh, used in a lot of Mexican food and some sort of Spanish food. Very little of it will impart a lot of flavor and a lot of color, of, a great amount of color to dishes. good example is um, – uh, what's that dish that uh, you have a special pan for and it has a lot of seafood in it? Oh, man, I'm going to kill myself because I know this. I should know this. Let's take a sip of that. Yeah. I think you're going to enjoy. It's a very interesting flavor. Mm. It's a little carbonation compared to the last beer. Sweet flavor to it. Honey. There's honey there. There's honey. Yeah. You can taste some of the wine. And you really get the saffron in the aftertaste. Mm-hmm. I, I got it when I was just talking just now. Yeah. Wow, you do. <sighs> Saffron right there. What a damn, how come I can't think of that dish? It, it's, a, it's a very popular, excellent dish involving a lot of seafood and rice and sausage usually too. Okay. It's a Mexican-style dish. It's a, it starts with a P, I believe. Big plate. Big, you use a big uh, pan just for it. And someone should send me an email about it because they're going to know it and I should know it. <laughs> I don't know. I've never actually made one, but it, you know – and saffron is used to add a lot of color and flavor to that, to flavor the rice. Okay. You can taste the grapes. They're starting to like a kind of vinous flavor yeah. to it. It's, it's very sweet. Yeah, you hit that. What you get is a sweetness from the honey. and then the, Well, the, well get, I should say it's very sweet, but it's not syrupy. It's not cloyingly. It has the impression that, wow, it's a sweet beer. But it doesn't build up. It doesn't give you that cloyingly syrupy sweetness that gets overwhelming. Yeah. You taste the honey right away that kind of combines very quickly with the vinousness of it. And then kind of gives way to a little bit of malt and a lot of saffron flavor. I find the saffron really comes on strong in the late, late aftertaste. After you mm-hmm. take a breath or two, it just the aromatics fill your mouth at mm-hmm. that point. And it's been every time I've been trying to talk and I just get this mouthful of saffron. <laughs> saffron is also the most expensive spice in the world in terms of you know price per volume. You usually can find it at a grocery store for somewhere around 8 to $9, and you'll get maybe 20 pistols worth. 
Wow. Speaking of so expensive, the other bit about this. here is a beer you can get only at the brew pub in uh, Rehoboth Beach. And it's sold out now. But it's the Arctic Cloudberry Imperial Wheat. Have you ever heard of Cloudberries? No. Okay, here's a little bit of history about Cloudberries. It's kind of interesting and amazing. I've never heard of it. This is not what we're drinking. What we're drinking right now no. is the Midas Touch, but we're talking about other dogfish heads. Very good. Cloudberries grow in boggy land in cold northern climates of Scandinavia, Siberia, and Canada, as well as the Arctic Circle, and are one of the most delicious and costly of all berries because of the limited growing area. Because of the lack of warmth, the berries ripen slowly, allowing the flavor to develop at an extraordinary intensity and sweetness, tasting almost like honeyed apples. They are highly prized hmm. in Scandinavian countries, where they are made into jams, fruit soaps, oh, sorry, fruit soups, and desserts. <laughs> fruit soaps, huh? In fact, they are so valued in northern Scandinavia, where Finland, Sweden, and Norway meet, that cloudberry has, a lo- has long been the cause of cloudberry wars. These Oof. otherwise peace-loving countries have been known to become quite territorial when it comes time to harvest this berry, causing the Swedish Ministry of Foreign Affairs to develop a special section just for cloudberry diplomacy. Wow. That's, um, that's <laughs> only available at their brew pub, huh? Yeah. That must be expensive. Uh, there's also the Tej. What goes on with the Tej? Tej is how you pronounce it. Oh. It's a recreation of an Ethiopian honey wine. Drink has been made for centuries in Ethiopia and is still very popular today. It is usually made with made by home made at home by women and served at many holiday occasions. Our tej is brewed with pure Ethiopian honey and uses ground gesho tree as the bittering component. Interesting. It has a dry wine-like character with hints of licorice and star anise. Ten percent alcohol by volume. And another one they have at their brew public exclusive is the Madagascar vanilla bean porter, which is that sounds absolutely delicious. It certainly does. This just talks about why the Madagascan vanilla beans are better because of the soil and something, something. See, I've heard that may not be necessarily the case. I know uh, Alton Brown and Goodies did a thing about vanilla. And I'm not sure whether he said the Madagascar ones were as good or, or not as good as some of the other ones. Maybe they were the good ones. Maybe it was the Mexican ones that weren't that good. It's Okay. It's been, a, it's been a while since I saw that one, but I recommend you check out that Goodies on a Vanilla because it was very, very interesting. I love Goodies. A couple more Dogfish Head beers. We'll save those while we're drinking the next mm-hmm. one. They also make spirits. We'll talk yeah, about I those. noticed that. They have one called Tequila, which is their version of Tequila. Yeah, let's talk about that in a little bit, too. We're just teasing it right now. Okay. I've actually had a Dogfish Head spirit, so I'll tell you a little bit about that right, later. You're not really a spirits guy. No, I was, uh, I was at a friend's party tasting some homebrew. And someone brought in a bottle of uh, Dogfish Head rum. Huh. And a sip of it. So, this Midas Touch is interesting. It uh, really, I, I like it a lot. It's um, it's different. It's very different. Let's see if we can get Heather to taste a sip of this. I wonder if she'd be like, she'd like it, and that okay. would be beneficial to our listeners for non-beer drinking people to see what they, you know, they think. I think she's going to say it tastes like beer. Let's like see if I get... it does. No. <laughs> well, the wife didn't like it. That's a big no. I thought maybe it was sweet enough and different enough that she might dig it, but <laughs> she, said, she she gave a couple uh, non-approving grunts. Um, you know, the only beer that she does uh, like is the uh, Lin- Lindemann's Frambois, right? Lindemann's Frambois. I should have her try other kinds of Lambiques, mm-hmm. but they're kind of expensive and I hate to waste them. <laughs> I'm really a fan of this one. This is very good stuff. This is a, in, King Midas um, has some good beer with him if this is the actual... 
beer that he was drinking. This is under one of the, this is under the normal releases. So I mean, I'm surprised I, I don't really see it around here too often. Like cases of it at beer distributors, I haven't really seen the Midas Touch. I wouldn't be able to get a case of this though. This is something where you get a couple beers. Yeah, I got this at D's probably. It's been a while too. Let's see if this is bottle conditioned. Doesn't look like it. No, it's not. But again, I mean, it, uh, you know, dogfish head and their bottle conditioning is kind of weird because they're they're sixty oh. and ninety minute are, do- are bottle conditioned. Oh yeah, it could have do- been the the bottle condition with just enough yeast, right. not the leaf sludge, but uh, bottle condition the beer. That uh, that kind of brings me to another point. Their their cases are kind of funny too. They uh, I didn't see one of these, but I was reading about it on Beer Advocate. They put out like I think it was a sixty minute. They had the New the chunky style, chunky style yeah, yeah, because it had a lot of yeast in the bottle, so they put it on in a case and said chunky style. No, I, I, I'm a big fan of getting the, the 60 minutes, so I, I will get that a lot. And no, that they don't have a lot of yeast in there. Oh, they don't really? have any yeast in there at all. In fact, oh, huh. so they just say new chunky style. I just think it's funny. It's not really okay. Not really meant to be anything about the kind of beer that the, the, the yeast is in there because there ain't none. You know what? I keep forgetting Tuesday. Wholesalers here in Pittsburgh got that uh, that Trogues Nugget Nectar. Oh, yeah! I'm gonna split a case with Bob, so uh, I keep meaning to go to save on beer and get in some, but I keep forgetting. Have to try that out. I guess I could spare you a bottle or two. Maybe. Remember, I'm kind of low on cash. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Fly to Japan in uh, stowage. Right. <laughs> it's interesting. On the tasting notes for that Midas Touch we just had, uh-huh. some of the other flavors they mentioned are papaya, melon, biscuity. I don't detect any biscuit there. I can see melon. Papaya, I'm, I, I have to be honest, I'm not all that familiar with papaya taste. So We didn't mention the food pairings for this one either. Well, I mean, I am oh. kind of familiar with it, but it's like I didn't really taste it there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Pan-Asian dishes, risotto, curries. I don't know if I'd... How do you think that would go with like a curry? I think it would go really well with the with. Like, I guess uh, if you get the. I think it would go really well with a coconut curry. Yeah, uh, yeah, like not a, a like a green curry. Yeah, that would be good. Baked fish, which I could see very good. Oh. Very well fish. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Next beer. Next beer is the au courant, which is uh, using the currants. Um, let's see. Strong French. Belgian pale ale. Belgian pale ale brewed with French Pilsner malt and uh, pale Belgian candy sugar. Pureed currants and our house Belgian ale strain are all added to the ferment to create a unique beer. Brewed to bolster your bluster in colder weather. I'm not a big fan of currants, so let's see how this goes. Oh, it's very purple red. <laughs> yeah. It is a, uh, yeah, like like uh, like Jeff said, a purple red with uh, ruby highlights. It's almost, it almost looks like a framboise because of the way it is. I mean, it's got this... Uh, sort of light pinkish uh, head. There is a significant amount of sludge on the bottom of this bottle. Oh, really? Chunky style. This one is definitely chunky style, that's for sure. Okay, so the aroma on it, the first thing I'm getting is not so much the currants, but uh, a dry Belgian, kind of like... Uh, There's a bit of fruitiness there, but I, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, a dry Belgian smell. Oh, now of, I can take the currants. Okay. Kind of like, um, maybe like the Orval smell, something like that. Give it a chance. The currents will come out. Maybe a little bit, but I'm still getting the... Well, I'm detecting current a lot now. So let's see here. Oh, yeah. That's tart. Very tart. Very tart. 
the tarts almost taking over all the other flavors. When I first took the sip, I got some dry. You know, remember the Orval? It was dry. Well, I hate to say vinegar because that's bad, but you know, slight reminiscent of you know, like a dry sour vinegar flavor. So you get that, and then the currants just pile in there, and it's just here's some sourness for you, some tartness. Take that. This is the Sour Patch Kids of beer. <laughs> now, let's not be too rough on it first because, you know, other sour beers that I don't know if I like this. Oh, I love this. Order it, order it, order it. So. Yeah, that sourness is really present there. I, I'm starting to taste a little bit of the current now in the back of my – it's all back of your tongue stuff, all of it. There's like nothing on the front of my, of I my beg, mouth. I beg to differ. Oh, it's, really? It's not all the way to the front. It's not the tip of your tongue, but it's like – it's like – between, Midway through? Between the 20-yard lines. Okay. The tip of your tongue is tasting nothing is what I'm saying. Yeah. The tip is nothing, but everything is from like the, the middle back. Yeah, I don't have it too far back. About here is a little bit. Tastes all the way back in yeah. your throat, huh? I don't get flavor all the way back there on this one. I'm tasting it from about the 50-yard line back in my time. We apologize for the football metaphor. It's from about second base back in the baseball diamond. <laughs> um, <laughs> How far is it, the center field wall? <laughs> It depends because there's the base. Yeah, on, on this, on your tongue, how far is it? <laughs> well, let's see. In Yankee Stadium, it's uh, four hundred eight to this, to deep center field, and I would say it's about two hundred fifteen <laughs> or two thirty. All the baseball fans are jumping up and down right now. <laughs> he equated his tongue to a baseball field. <laughs> diamond. diamond. It's called a diamond. Is it? Okay. I didn't realize the outfield when you're talking about that. It was still called the diamond. Well. It, you call the base, well, you know, it's generally referred to as a diamond, but it's true. The field also, you know, because center field and left field and right field. I'm waiting for a couple more sips to see if I become a little numb to the tartness and can start picking out other things. That's kind of what I'm waiting for right now. It, I think that my my first uh, description is pretty apt. It, it is a Sour Patch Kids of beer. If you want a sourness, there it is for you. I mean, boom, you got it. And it's not unpleasant. But it is very much geared toward the person who wants something sour. No, I just realized something. Before, you know, like all day when I was prepping the notes and everything, I'm like, oh, Al Courant. And I was thinking that they were cassis. Excuse me. I wasn't, I it just, you know, starts with a C. It's a fruit that I'm not too familiar with. I was like, oh, so it's going to be that wintergreen, that minty flavor. Which is, yeah, the, yeah. because there are some um, lambics made by. Uh, Lindemans makes one, yeah, the right? Cassis, the right. Cassis, which is so. oh, that, that's a, I don't like that flavor at all. This is a, this is the current, which is sort of a it's a, more a, like a raspberry or something. It, it's right? almost like a cranberry, like a really cranberry. sharp cranberry. Yeah. So, like I said, I'm not a huge fan of currants, but I'm not like a, a I don't like I don't dislike it like I do uh, Cassis, which is I don't like this at all. Right. We should talk about some of their other seasonal beers because we haven't done that one yet. First is their pumpkin, which we tried on, their, on our pumpkin beers. Full body. Brown ale with smooth hints of pumpkin and brown sugar. Perfect to warm up with seasonal cools. Oh, we really like that one, as I remember. That one, I tasted a lot of nutmeg to it. I yeah. Think it, was, it, was, it was that one that was really melted, and it was really hard to describe at first. Recommendations. Turkey, roast duck, lamb, oh, stuffing. Man. Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I want to go back to Thanksgiving. I'm going to buy a case of that crap for Thanksgiving <laughs> and just have like 10 turkey dinners until it's gone. Oh, that was good stuff. Another uh, one is the Apra Hop. Which, you know what? I really didn't like that much when I tried it a long time ago before we started the show. Okay. I, I got a case of it, and um, 
I was not as impressed with it as I thought I would be. And I, I always felt, I think I mentioned this a couple of times on the show, I liked Yards for their, the Yards Pale Ale for, right, the, the, Philly Pale for Ale. the apricot flavor more than I liked the Apra Hop. I've said it a bunch when we talked about this last summer. The Apra Hop is a fruit beer done right. Ale Street News calls it a fruit beer for hop heads. It's not crazy fruity. It has some apricot. It has a lot of hops. So it's mm-hmm. an IPA fruit beer, if you will. It was one of the beers we had. It was the main course that Dogfish had beer dinner. We had it with barbecued chicken and cornbread. Maybe and it just uh, wasn't ready at the time I had it. Could be. Know? It went very well with that. Another seasonal is their Snowblower Ale. It's another draft-only beer. Strong golden ale with an elegant malt balance and distinct hop character. Snowblower also has subtle spiciness derived from a traditional Belgian yeast. Back to the Eau Courant, which is another one of their seasonals. When is the, when is the Eau Courant available? Courant is available. It's a winter seasonal produced in 2004, not during 2005. It'll return in the end of 2006. They're going through some growth, growing pains right now. Mm-hmm. They're expanding a bunch of stuff. So this beer doesn't have a 2000, doesn't have a production until the end of the year. And uh, you'll see some of the other ones are kind of on hiatus. So this is a year old that we're having. Yeah. With an aged beer, the hops tend to mellow. I wonder what happens to the Courant flavor. I yeah, I wonder if, it, it, if it gets sharper. I mean, it might get sharper because you think it like the cider, for instance, get a little bit more sour as it ages. Yeah, I'm curious if it is more tart today because it's older. I don't know. We don't, only way to be able to do that is by experiment or unless someone else has done the experiment for us. <laughs> well, I mean, we wouldn't really be able to tell because they haven't produced one this year. We'll, right. have, to, we'll have to find one when they produce one at the end of this year. Sure. Could be the beginning of this year, just at 2006, but I was assuming, you know, the end of the year winter, right, not right. the beginning of the year winter. Let's see here on the... Uh, I don't think there was anything marked. No, there's nothing marked. That's frustrating. When the labels have bottling dates on them, but none of them are notched. <laughs> yeah, why go, to the, why go to the bother of putting your bottling dates on there? I don't get it. This one is not bottling condition that we can tell. Sure. Oh, sorry, that's my just touch. Uh, you're looking at the wrong one. I'm looking at the wrong one. Okay. They both have purple labels, so great yeah. goods can I was going to say, I thought we had the, the, the Solos bottle condition. Yeah, there. There they are. <laughs> it's a, it's like the whole bottom is covered with like yeah. black colored yeast or purple yeast. This beer is 7% alcohol by volume. This is the Owl Courant from Dogfish Head Craft Brewery in Milton, Delaware. Dogfish.com. Yeah, that, that grew on me. Yeah, like I said, the tartness kind of, you get numb to it. Uh-huh. Once you get past the, the intense tartness, it's a more whiny tasting drink. And it's a, it's a dry sipping drink. Mm-hmm. And it, the rest of it really wasn't, wasn't unpleasant to finish, that's for sure. It wasn't unpleasant to start with either, but it's very, very sour if you're not prepared for it. If so if not- you like sour beers like uh, the Bell's Cherry Stout, have you ever had that? No. That's a tart beer. Mm. These Those Michigan cherries are crazy tart when they're in the beer i didn't like it very much but it's been a long time i need so we definitely need to retry that one this is kind of like that where it's very tart at the beginning but it got numb to it and you get to taste the other flavors so it finished very nice the next beer on our list is the raison d'extra this is a belgian strong dark ale which they actually provide as a bulbous brown ale Brewed with a bunch of malt, brown sugar, and raisins. Now, again... This is the big version of the Raison right. d'Etre. Raison d'Etre. d'Etre. Raison d'Etre, which, again, we say is uh, French for... Like I, I said, I believe it's French for the reason for being. This is a beer that is 18% alcohol by volume. Wow. 
And they put the little dogfish warning cap on. You see that's a little exclamation made of a dogfish. Yeah, on the so duck. you know, if you've seen those exclamations, it's basically a triangle with an exclamation point in it, but this is a triangle with a dogfish pointing up like an exclamation point. Maybe we should wash these glasses out because they have the, the sour current in them right now. And it's gonna be quite a difference from this. Okay. Uh like I said, forty one IBUs, eighteen percent alcohol by volume. Their next release, this is going to be in September 2006, so not for a while. And it's pouring, not with much head, but with sort of a dark brownish color. Not quite dark, I guess. More of a, uh, a dark tannish color. Wow. The aroma on that one is sugar, sugar, sugar. No visible yeast in this one. It smells like a strong dogfish head beer. Yeah. It, uh, it's one of those ones that it smells a lot like 120 minutes. It smells kind of like the Worldwide Stout. It's just a lot of warming alcohol. Sugar, 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 alcohol, alcohol, sugar, alcohol. That's what you're getting from head, this. One. Head went away very quickly, which is kind of normal for high alcohol. Yeah, for like, like 18%, that's about what I would expect. I wouldn't expect the head to remain for that long. As Sam described in the documentary, they do all kinds of masochistic things to the yeast to get them to ferment this high. <laughs> Okay, initially hits you as kind of mild, and then it really, really pours on a lot of sweetness and maltness right down the middle of your tongue. You get this really kind of strong raisiny flavor that develops with a bunch of malty sweetness. And I don't really taste the alcohol that much, which is surprising for me because it is 18%. You can't taste the alcohol? Let me try it again. I mean, it tastes like I'm drinking... I take that back. Tastes like I'm <laughs> sipping uh, bourbon almost. I take that back. I can't taste the alcohol. I was concentrating more on the maltiness. Right. The alcohol really flares around the outside of your tongue, but you get a lot of the sweetness in the middle. It's not quite as biting, but I mean, it's it's reminiscent of like sipping on a bourbon. Yeah. You can really smell it too. You know, I think I might actually like it better than the Raison d'Etre because... I'm not a big fan of the Raison d'Etre. No, neither am I. I mean, Raison d'Etre is... Um, Sort of a Belgian-style uh, strong with sort of a very intense sugariness. And this kind of pairs out the sugariness a bit with the alcohol, I think. I do want to try it again. I don't know. Last time I had it, I just I didn't like it and I really couldn't tell why. So maybe it could have just been an off-beer day for me or something. So I need to definitely try it again. Excuse me. I need to try it again. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the Raison d'Etre. And when I see people rave about it, I'm like, I just... Yeah, it's one of those beers I just don't understand. I guess I know my father is a big fan of the Raison d'Etre, but um, I'm not a huge fan either. But this is the Raison d'Etre. I think I like it more. It's a lot more liquorish, you know, alcoholish. It's something you sip slowly, and it get a lot of alcohol evaporation in it. It's a different drinking experience than the Raison d'Etre. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I love the you know I love these names. You know, the Raison d'Etre. They have a. Uh, they, have, they don't make it now. It's not on the list, but they've made in the past a high-alcohol pilsner. They called it prescription pills. <laughs> Great naming for these beers. Uh, you know, we Actually, talk- I heard the prescription pills is coming back. So if you've heard about it, wow. you want to try it. Keep an eye out. I don't know exactly what alcohol range it's in. I would assume over 10% for a lager, though, for a pilsner. Well, let's discuss, as this is our last beer tonight, let's discuss some of these spirits that Dogfish Head also makes. Um, they make a whole bunch of different rum. They make the uh, brown honey rum, wit spice rum, white light rum, dark side rum, coconut rum, banana rum, and pineapple rum. It's a lot of rum. I don't know which one I had at the uh, party I was telling you where I had the rum. 
I didn't know they had this many different kinds of rum, and I didn't know I'd be talking about it tonight. Also, I'm hardly a rum connoisseur, right? so I wouldn't know what I was tasting anyway. It, it tastes like a good rum. I had a shot of it. and uh, Well, a shot, really. You didn't mix a drink. You just went for bam. Well, I, I didn't know. I didn't, I, yeah. I didn't shoot it. I sipped it because uh, I'm the kind of guy who wants to explore the flavors. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't see much of the point of if you if it tastes so bad you got to shoot it then I don't see the like reason. Like Jaeger I don't see the reason in drinking it. But it was definitely a good sipping rum. Does this beer have brown sugar in it? Yeah, I I, I would say it, it definitely does. Yes. Yeah, uh, does brown, brown, yeah. brown sugar. Yeah, you can taste the brown sugar in this, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's fermented out, but you can still tell there's a a brown sugar presence to it. I'm not really tasting much raisins. I'm tasting alcohol and brown sugar. I think that the the, the sugar and and the alcohol kind of I taste the raisin though, but I mean they, they kind of mute the the overly sweet taste of the raisins. I think a bit. Okay, so more of these dogfish head spirits. They have some vodka called Blue Hen vodka, and they marked another one under infusions. That's where they add fruit yeah, flavors. like fruits or like they have um, you know Grey Goose or, or any or other vodkas have uh, orange. All, all the absolutes yeah. that have all the peppermint and orange and lemon right, and. Right. They have a dogfish head gin. They spell it J-I-N, apparently. It's distilled with pineapple mint, juniper, juniper berry, green peppercorn, and roseberry, rosemary botanicals. Interesting. That does sound interesting. I mean, you know, juniper is pretty much the standard for a gin, but um, th- this might taste less like a pine cone. Uh, there's also a dogfish head tequila. Apparently, you can't use the word tequila in, uh, or you can't if you're not made in Mexico. There's this T A hyphen K E E hyphen L A tequila. Tequila. It's interesting. Our brew pub distilling their own spirits. It's. Uh, well, I mean, I figure you got. You know, why not? I guess uh, it just you're not surprised that Dogfish Head's doing it. I mean, look at the beers we've been drinking tonight, mm-hmm. and the other ones we described. Hardly any of their beers. They're stout. It has right. ginger root and St. John's wort and chicory in it. Weird stuff. Let's discuss, you know, since we're at the final beer and we're talking about the crazy beers they have, what is your order for beers? Want me to go first this time? Sure, go ahead. Okay, let's see here. This is going to be a little difficult. Hmm. This is a tough one. Because uh, I don't really remember a Mort Ale that much because it was so much at the beginning. Yeah, I'm trying to. I remember liking it, but I don't remember how much I liked it. What did that taste like? That yeah. tasted like. Um, geez, <laughs> it's been a while. So I'm. I'm gonna. You know, I don't know if I can actually include it in Mort Ale because I don't really remember it. So because of that, I don't feel right including it. See the bottle. Mm-hmm. What does it describe itself as? Oh, it's the. Um, the vanilla oak one. Mm, don't really remember it. Okay, uh, it had so many different flavors here that it just it kind of got lost among them all. Right. So I'm gonna have to go with this order, I think. So my number one beer of the night is the Midas Touch. I think that was the most really interesting and like drinkable, total drinkable beer of the night. Really good stuff. I like that a lot. My next would be, you know, I wasn't sure that this would be the right one, but hey, man, it, it turned out to be really good. The Eau Courant. The tart. tart I'm a tart. big fan of sour beers, and so that really, it was Once you more, got past the, the initial yeah, shock of it, yeah. you got used to it, and you found out, you know, hey, this is 
just as tart like the things I like. I was having trouble deciding whether it was the El Coran or the Raison d'Extra, which was second or third, but I picked, I guess, Raison d'Extra third because I just like the El Coran. The experimental, I love that whole sour thing. So yeah. then I picked the Raison d'Extra because, I mean, it's really good. I'm really enjoying it a lot more than I like Raison d'Extra. And then finally, Pangea just because it didn't really hit me the it's same just way. just a bunch of ginger. It's a pile of ginger and carbonation. If I'm remembering right, I'd put the Immort third before Raison Dextra, but I don't know if I remember it right. So I'm yeah. gonna put it before Pangea. I'm gonna put Raison I'm gonna put the Immort Ale before Pangea. Okay. I am almost identical to you, but I am going to put the immortal in front of the Dextra. Okay. I remember the vanilla and the oakiness and um that was good. And it's good to have good oak beer. Mm-hmm. Granted the top four are a few steps above the Pangea. The Pangea just didn't just didn't do anything special for me. So there's a big space between the fifth right. place Pangea and the the fourth place Raison d'Extra. The D'Extra, it's a good sipping beer. It's probably a little bit sweet. Probably the brown sugar, I mean, it has a nice taste to it, but it's not as challenging as the other beers tonight. Not as interesting as the other beers, I would say. Uh, well, for, for Chud from the Beer Report, it's good and it'll get you drunk. Sure. <laughs> the, um, the Amort Ale... It's hard to remember for me too, but I remember some of the oak, and I remember like, well, that's a good. I remember sure liking beer. it, but yeah. I, I don't remember you know how it compares that one. The oak Courant was really your Courant exactly. Remember how I said it's tart now, but I want that to numb a little bit uh-huh. and see what I think. And once it numbed, it was a good dry drinking tart beer, yeah. and it wasn't overpowering. And then the Midas Touch. The impression on this one is so sweet, so so sweet, but amazingly, it was not syrupy or cloying. Mm-hmm. And it's just weird that it could be that sweet and and still dry. It was really and unique. It was really a drinkable beer. That's something that you could recommend to other people and really you know give out. I mean, it really, really struck me right. And I was hoping that it'd be another gateway beer for my wife, but you heard her go. <coughs> so <laughs> even after editing, I think this is going to be one of our longer shows. So let's wrap this up. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of Craft Beer Radio. Give us your feedback on whether you liked a brewery vertical show or if you prefer the style shows. I think we're going to be doing a smattering of each of those. We're not going to give up on the style shows. No, not at all. We're not going to go exclusive on these brewery verticals. But, for example, I had a cellar full of these crazy dogfish head beers. I'm sorry, but there's not a show where we can do Courant beers or 600-year-old Midas Touch (laughs) clone beers. I really like the idea of doing verticals every once in a while. I mean, I was kind of against it at first because I wanted to really get into We didn't want to play favorites to breweries. And I think we're to the point where we don't have to worry about playing favorites. But it would be great to hear your feedback on what you think about these, the brewery verticals. I think as a once in a while thing, a brewery vertical can be a very interesting diversion. I mean, the thing about what we did last week wasn't even a, you know, it wasn't a style so much as it was just a bunch of It was a lack lack of preparation. Well, it was a combination of lack of preparation and spring cleaning. I have... Almost three cases of random beers downstairs that I want to taste on the show. A lot of them don't fit into a good style category. So we might have a couple more spring cleaning shows coming up too. Thank you everybody for listening to this episode of Craft Beer Radio. If you want to send us feedback, send it to beer at craftbeerradio.com. Or you can call our comment line at 206-202-BEER. And uh, tune in again next week where we'll be doing Same beer time, same beer channel. Something else that we haven't planned out again yet. And there will be the interview coming from Chris Trogner, so stay tuned for that. Talk to you later.
That's all for Craft Beer Radio. If you have any questions or comments, email us at beer at craftbeerradio.com. And feel free to send us an audio comment in MP3. Our intro and closing music is Lameface by Feeble Wiener. You can find a link to Feeble Wiener on our website. Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. Check out craftbeerradio.com for more information. Yeah.